Thank you for joining our NCA podcast. We're very glad that you are with us. Today, we have three wonderful people who are doing research on Catholic education, and we will let them introduce themselves. But suffice it to say that I know all three of them, and they are wonderful individuals committed to Catholic education and the church, and I am so grateful that they have agreed to join us. So we'll start. Charlie, we'll let you go first. Thank you so much, Kathy, and you are too kind, uh, as always. Uh, But my name is Charlie County. Uh, I direct Catholic teacher formation at Boston College in our Lynch School of Education and Human Development, uh, and I also direct our Urban Catholic Teacher Corps. Uh, And I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be with you, Kathy, and as you said, these other wonderful people as well. Thank you, Charlie. Um, Andrew, you're next. Thanks so much, Kathy. Um, uh, My name is Andrew Miller. I am an assistant professor of educational leadership with a focus on Catholic educational leadership at the Lynch School of Education and Human Development. Um, I am in my third year as a faculty member at the Lynch School. I was a former Catholic school teacher. I also did a lot of teacher coaching and professional learning opportunities for teachers in Catholic schools, and then uh, worked under Kathy when she was the superintendent of the Archdiocese of Boston. I was the director of academics for a couple of years working at the system level. So I've got a range of both teaching and leadership experiences in Catholic schools, um, and I'm just really thrilled to be in the current position I am and working with the folks uh, that have joined us today on the cast. And we're glad you're there too. Annie, your turn. Hi everyone, my name is Annie Smith. I'm the Vice President of Research and Data here at the National Catholic Educational Association. Um, I was formerly at the Archdiocese of Boston, also under Kathy as Associate Superintendent of Research and Data. Um, So I love data. And we're glad that she does. So thank you all um, all three for joining us. We're here um, to talk about the research that you're doing, especially in urban Catholic education. But before we get started on that, um, Andrew, why don't you, um, well, I think you've already told us a little bit about yourselves, but why don't, well, could you please tell us about how you decided, I want to work in Catholic schools, I want to work in Catholic education, I want to work for the church? Sure, no problem. Uh, I started my Catholic education professional journey um, with the University of Notre Dame's Alliance for Catholic Education. I graduated uh, from college in 2009 and I was admitted into Notre Dame's ACE program. And so I had made that two-year commitment to professionally work in Catholic schools. But even stepping back before I joined ACE, I always had this, I I had gone to a Catholic elementary school from uh, first grade through eighth grade. I had a a deep affinity for Catholic education, but also in a very kind of like old school pre-Vatican II uh, aesthetic. Um, the pastor at the uh, parish elementary school that I attended first through eighth grade very much had a um, a, a, a classic uh, aesthetic that he brought to um, the liturgy and that he brought to uh, spiritual practice. And so there was something about that experience that I had that was very similar to my dad who had attended Catholic elementary school pre in the, in the 50s. And so he and I used to share experiences. I'd come home and he'd be like, wow, that was the kind of stuff happening in my Catholic school in Jersey City. Um, and so he and I always used to talk about Catholic school and Catholic education from the aesthetic and the, the liturgical practice perspective. But then as I grew in my own faith journey, as I, as I worked um, uh, through theology courses and undergraduate and then joined up with ACE, I realized that there's this very kind of deep emotional attachment that I have to the passing on of the faith. 
um, and the way to do that via schooling. And so while learning how to be a teacher and learning how to be a high quality professional um, in my first years in the profession at St. George Catholic School in Fort Worth, Texas, which is where I taught with the ACE program, um, I realized that it's, it's really hard for me to separate my professional work and, um, and, and my own spiritual development, the spiritual development of uh, people working with me. And I realized these things are deeply intertwined. And so I have not always worked in professional settings that are explicitly related to Catholic schooling, but I've always been drawn back there. And so for the two years that I worked in the Archdiocese of Boston, and now with my research focus on Catholic schooling, you can see a kind of a, a thread, something pulling me back um, into these experiences um, after my two years of teaching. So um, that was a little bit rambly. I apologize uh, for going on a little bit too long, but that's, that's where I'll stop with, with my journey. It's okay, Andrew, and I think that um, all of us are called to truth and beauty and and goodness, and I think that's what you're saying, that you're just drawn to it. Um, I think a lot of people share that with with you. Annie, could you tell us how you ended up in Catholic education? Yeah, so I was um, working as an actuary, and I decided I wanted to do um, something different, work in education, and I went to grad school um, for education, and when I was um, trying to figure out what to do next, um, was trying to decide between public school, charter school, and Catholic schools. And once I saw this opportunity at the Archdiocese of Boston, I was very excited because as a graduate of Catholic education um, in middle school and high school and college, I really wanted to make sure that others could have the same experience that I had. So I was excited to join the team. And Annie didn't say it, but she went to Holy Cross undergrad, so she continued that Catholic education, and then she went to Harvard for her her master's. So um, I'll put that out there since Andrew said his Notre Dame and Boston College stuff, and we don't want Boston College to represent more than Holy Cross, that's for sure. So um, Charlie, you get to tell us about your journey. Certainly. Uh, thank you again, Kathy. Uh, my journey began, as most, uh, I am a cradle uh, Catholic for sure, and one that uh, started uh, Catholic education early. I uh, went to Catholic schools in Honolulu, Hawaii, um, at Star of the Sea Church um, in Honolulu, uh, and certainly that was a formative time for me. Uh, college, though, is where I probably came into my faith my, myself, owned it myself. Um, high school, I didn't feel that, that, that call um, to um, my relationship with God as much, but for me, college at Santa Clara University, another proud um, Catholic institution, Jesuit institution out in California, um, I really came to know and own uh, my faith. Uh, and for me, that faith is what calls me and helps me in thinking about and framing my views and my hopes for the future for myself, for my professional life and my personal life. Uh, I was uh, only because it matters, I think, to my own faith life and my own faith journey. Uh, married a strongly Catholic uh, woman from uh, the Bronx who herself was uh, went through Catholic education her whole life uh, at St. Benedict's in the Bronx uh, in Frog's Neck and then um, at Loyola, Maryland, another Jesuit institution. Uh, and, I, and I continued on. Uh, I went through the EPICS program, so a program similar to uh, Andrew's program at ACE. Um, in New Jersey. Uh, I lived in Jersey City, Andrew, um, probably not far from uh, where your uh, father went to school uh, and taught uh, Catholic school there. And then I've also worked uh, and did another degree at Loyola Marymount University. Uh, and then uh, about 10 years ago, came out to Boston College to work with the Urban Catholic Teacher Corps. And I've uh, since then done another degree out here at Boston College. So for me, it really is it's a lifetime journey. 
It involves my faith, certainly Catholic education, um, lived that catechizing mission for me um, and taught me my faith. Um, but for me, Catholic higher ed also played a, a tremendous role and had a tremendous impact for me in my own faith journey. And really, as I was being framed and formed as a educator, uh, it was that uh, higher education as well that called me back to Catholic education uh, and really helped me in making that commitment to the future of Catholic ed. And so I, I'm passionate about our evangelizing mission, our catechizing mission, and, and our call to really be on the margins, um, to really serve those with the greatest need, uh, really live our social teaching. Uh, and so for me, that's a piece of it. And that's why also not just Catholic ed, but for me, a great passion, both personally and professionally, um, to support the future of urban Catholic education. That's why I send my uh, my kids to an urban Catholic school, why I continue to get to do the work I do um, personally, day to day, and then also why I've had the opportunity to work in this piece of research on urban Catholic ed as well. Thank you. And, and I think it's important for our guests to know who you are. And I think that we just help them to do that. So that's good. So um, your research is about urban Catholic education and where we are in the United States. And a lot of urban Catholic schools have closed over the years. Originally, I think the study is 20 years old. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I'm going to go to you, Charlie, for this question. But originally, the study was conducted by Father Joe Keith, And he's a wonderful Catholic educator, has done a lot. You can read his books. Um, has he been involved with this study in any way? And how did he just feel about you revisiting his work? Did he think it was time? Uh, one of the first things when we were looking at doing this that we did was reach out to him and see, how would you feel about this, Father? Um, and he, I think, at, at a different time would probably, um, based on uh, the communication he and I had, the conversations, the emails, I think he would have been um, very interested to participate with us. However, he is also the provincial of the East Coast province of the Jesuits and currently has uh, a lot on his plate to say the least. But um, the feeling he left with me uh, throughout the conversations uh, really went back to this is work that we need to do. We needed to do it 20 years ago and it's needed even more now because he came out of his research and made a variety of calls to the field uh, as far as the need for innovation uh, the need for greater collaboration, um, and the need for greater excellence in our academics. And I think we've seen some schools certainly take that up, and some urban Catholic schools have made tremendous strides and are really uh, amazing Catholic schools, and some continue to struggle. Uh, and enrollment seems to be the issue that continues to be on folks' minds. Um, but I think, and I don't want to speak for my colleagues, but I think all of us do believe the heart of it is going to go back to the instruction in the classrooms. And is it truly Catholic uh, instruction? Are we truly committed to our identity, but also excellence? And I think our identity, um, excellence certainly is uh, apostolic. I am a strong believer of that. And are we excellent in our Catholic schools? And I think that's always going to be a part of it. But in conversation with Father Joe, I think he did believe it's time for us to take this up and for a new generation to take this on. Uh, he has moved on to really needed work within, uh, within his order, within the Jesuits, and he is called there right now. Um, so he really does, I think, want others in the field taking this up, and he wants to see all of us. I think he liked that it was Boston College uh, working on this with NCA, but I don't think he would have been against anyone taking this up because it's so needed. 
I, I'm sure he liked that it was a Jesuit institution, but I think that that's probably true. So Andrew, we're, we're revisiting your um, Father O'Keefe's work, but why do you think that we need this study at this time? Uh, thanks, Kathy. I think that I have a couple of different key areas that I study outside of Catholic schooling and Catholic educational leadership. And one of those is educational change and organizational change um, as it applies to school organizations. And one of the things that we've been seeing in that field in general, in, in organizational change management and educational change, is that there's been an incredible amount of inventiveness over the course of the past 30 years in the public sector, which is 90% of the number of students in the U.S. And, you know, granted, we are talking U.S. trends here um, specifically uh, in our study as, that, as well as the analogs that we draw. Um, and so there's been an incredible inventiveness, right? You see the rise of charter schooling basically from the late 80s through to the present. And a lot of Catholic schools research just is, is based off of research that was conducted before these broader organizational shifts, before um, certainly in 2000 when Joe O'Keefe's study came out, uh, Father O'Keefe's study came out, and that was right on the cusp of the passing of No Child Left Behind. And No Child Left Behind for 90% of students in the U.S. completely changed the way that schooling was done, both in terms of teacher practice, in terms of accountability policy, in terms of how the organizations worked. So there's been a lot of in innovation and change and reform both for good and for ill in most schools in the US. And yet our frameworks for how we understand what Catholic schools are have not seen an equal amount, not necessarily no amount, but not an equal amount of innovation and reform. At the same time, when we talk about urban Catholic schools in research, the research trends tend to treat urban Catholic schools as if they're almost fixed in amber back in the late 20th century. And so for me, one of the things I really wanted to do with this project and join up and bring my ed change and organizational change expertise to was, can we develop new frameworks by being honest and dispassionate about what's going on in urban Catholic schools right now to analyze the, the situation on the ground so that we can see what is good, we can see what doesn't work, what needs improvement and enhancement, but do a kind of rigorous diagnosis of urban Catholic schools as they are right now in 2020, 2021, so that we can build new theory and then from that new theory and from what we see going on in practice really help urban Catholic educators because I totally agree with Charlie. There is a huge opportunity to take what has been excellent in urban Catholic education, but we need to A, update our frameworks within the research field about what we say we mean when we talk about urban Catholic schools, what they are, what qualities they have, who works in them, etc. And then on top of that, we need to make sure that the stuff that's working really well in urban Catholic schools isn't just ignored, isn't just happening in a silo, in a single diocese or in a single region. So that for me as an organizational change and educational change person is what really drew me to this area, something that hadn't been looked at rigorously and hadn't been updated in quite some time and uh, a huge opportunity to, to take advantage of that silence, that research-based silence. I, I think that's wonderful reasons from both of you because um, we... In Catholic education, we we tend to fall behind a little bit on research. We don't keep current, and this is a great opportunity for us to do it. So, Annie, um, NCA said, yes, we want to be a part of this. So what do you want to happen because NCA is involved with this project? What do you want the impact of this work to be? So thanks, Kathy. Um, I think across the, the country, we've seen um, enrollment declines due to COVID as well as before then, and especially we've seen that 
the urban Catholic schools um, be impacted, and we're not sure why. And so I think this research is going to give us great insight into where Catholic, urban Catholic schools have been successful and where they may not have, and how can we um, disseminate that information to our other schools so that our members um, across the country can be successful and we can provide quality education to um, students in those urban Catholic schools and then hopefully in the suburban and rural schools as well. Yeah, because all of our sectors really are struggling a little bit with enrollment. So it's good that we're studying one and there may be lessons that we can learn in urban Catholic schools that would apply to to other sectors. Um, so I think that's a that's a great way to look at it. So, um, Charlie, this project, you will know it's successful because what happens? This research was worth our time. It's worth our money because what happens? What do we find out? good or bad, or just what happens? What will change because we're doing this research or what do you hope will change? Uh, well, thank you for the question, Kathy. Uh, I'm gonna start first by referring back to just, uh, and Andrew's gonna uh, be annoyed, but I'm gonna seize on something Andrew said, and he said we wanna be, we are being dispassionate uh, in the research. I, I wanna say that it, it is that we wanna be critical researchers, as Andrew said, and I think that's what he's speaking to, but we are passionate um, and hopefully the listeners are hearing that from Andrew and Annie about the future of urban Catholic ed. So to your question, Kathy, it, you know, in the last 10 years in our urban 12, so our 12 um, uh, dioceses that have the largest urban concentration, we've seen, you know, almost 200,000 student decrease in those schools. Uh, my hope from this research is that we're coming out with those practices that are working around our country. Um, specifically in urban Catholic ed, but as you said, hopefully they apply to other schools as well, um, but finding those practices that work to change this trend because urban Catholic education, it serves a higher percentage within Catholic ed of, um, of those uh, students from more diverse backgrounds, a higher percentage of students with learning disabilities. There's just such a great opportunity for us to live our faith and our Catholic social teachings and teaching on the margins is happening in urban Catholic schools. And so for my perspective, a, a group of recommendations, suggestions, um, a, a cookbook, if you will, for schools to be able to, school leaders to take and say, how do we turn this ship around? How do we make a difference in these trends that are happening um, so that we can really uh, impact the future of urban Catholic ed and make sure that this is a viable opportunity for the future as well, uh, because we have such amazing things that have happened in all of Catholic ed, but specifically in urban Catholic ed throughout our history. Uh, and then I see a note in the chat box from you, Kathy. Um, Annie, do you want to hit on those urban 12? Would you like me to? You can hit on them, Charlie. Um, so the urban 12, and Annie, correct me if I'm wrong, but the list I have is Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, Cincinnati, Cleveland, St. Louis, New Orleans, Miami, Brooklyn, Boston, St. Paul, Minneapolis. Um, I think that takes us to 12. It's important to note because if we had not had the decline we had in those um, places in the country, we wouldn't have had lost the many hundreds of thousands of students we've lost. And many times those schools are serving um, some of the poorest in our country, some of the people with few educational resources. So how do you hope this study will address that? Andrew, I'll give you a chance. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, 
we have a historical trajectory. One of the things that this entire study that we're doing is premised on is a framing that uh, Father O'Keefe brought to his research 20 years ago, which was the legacy of urban Catholic schooling, right? If a legacy serving low-income students and students of color um, in, in cities, you know, from historically uh, European, uh, formerly Western European, Eastern European, Central European migrant uh, communities living in uh, industrial cities in the Northeast through the Midwest, and then a history of uh, low-income Latino families and impoverished Latino families in the Southwest and into California, and then throughout the course of time, now we see low-income communities, Kathy, as you mentioned, and Charlie, as you mentioned. So there's that legacy, right? The legacy of urban Catholic education. Well, one of the things we have to do first, as, I, as, we, as we figure out what's going on, what actually is the state of urban Catholic schooling, is find out whether or not the schools that are in geographically urban places, these uh, 12 cities that Charlie mentioned, or 12 regional areas, these dioceses that Charlie mentioned, um, if, if the composition of the schools is still serving that population. And then if it is, we've got to explore whether or not the quality of that education for those populations is high quality or low quality, because we want to make sure that we sustain the legacy. And then if we find out that the composition of the urban Catholic schools is no longer with a low income and uh, population and a population of students of color, then we've got to ask ourselves, if that is our mission, why are we not serving that particular population? So for me, diagnostically and analytically, the opportunity here is to not only address whether we are serving the needs of the low-income communities and the communities of color that live in our cities, but first of all, if we are, and then once we establish if we are and the rate at which we are and whether or not there are gaps that we need to fill in, you know, we need to serve more, we're called to serve more, so maybe we should figure out a way to spend resources differently to do that. So if we can establish that question, then we then can move on to the question of how are we serving those communities. So we've got these two prongs that we're exploring in the study as Charlie summarized, and I think the first is just who are we serving, and then we can dig into the how. Because we have to stop, I think, assuming that we serve a population simply because we have historically served that population. We've got to look closely at what's going on and then figure out how that population that is in those schools being served. So for me, that's, that's how we in our study are going to address this question of serving historically marginalized communities. And, and it'll be interesting because in some of those areas where 20 years ago or 25 years ago, there were a lot of children who were poor, maybe the demographics have changed dramatically and now it's high income housing. Um, cities have changed over the last quarter of a century. And um, so I'm, I'm anxious to read your study. So when will this be available? When will you be done studying and um, you'll be able to present something? Uh, well, it's we're still in the midst of gathering data, and so I, I'm going to give another push uh, for any of our urban Catholic school leaders um, and superintendents to please respond to our survey and our invitations to some interviews. Uh, it's very much appreciated, uh, but we, ha we have a fairly large now group of respondents, and we're continuing to add on to that. Our hope is that um, by the time we get to the NCA conference in the spring, that we have some... Uh, preliminary uh, data to share. And then shortly around that time as well, we would like to, uh, depending on what NCA is open to, but to redo uh, the Sustaining the Legacy text that uh, Father Joe had done in collaboration with NCA so we can share that data um, in that way as well. Um, I also want to give a plug, uh, the comments by my our colleague Andrew Miller. Uh, Dr. Miller has an article forthcoming that really fleshes out the points that he just made. Um, 
in this that it's going to be in the Urban Ed Review. So I want to give a plug for that. It's not available just yet, but uh, hopefully in the next uh, six or eight weeks, you'll be able to access that online as well. Uh, we will also do a short presentation with some very preliminary results um, and uh, a few other pieces at uh, CLSS. So those are both going to be opportunities to really continue to dig in with us. But if we have individuals that are interested in collaborating more, um, in being interviewed by us to dig into these questions a bit more with a little bit more texture and context of your individual schools, then please let us know. Um, my email is charles.county at bc.edu, and I'll, I'm always going to be there responding. So I'll throw that out, and then it looks like, Andrew, you have a few things. Yeah, I'll just add that, you know, the phase that we're in uh, at the start of this study that we're wrapping up right now, as Charlie mentioned, is this kind of diagnostic phase. What's the composition of urban Catholic education? Those white papers, those reports will be ready, um, if not in the springtime, then very soon after the springtime in the early summer, right? You know, because we ha will have the data at that point, we'll be able to make the assessment about what's going on diagnostically. Simultaneously to us wrapping up that part of the analysis, we're moving into the second phase, which is talking to teachers, talking to principals, talking to superintendents, figuring out what's going on in urban Catholic schools to figure out qualitatively the, 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 the way that urban Catholic schools work from the inside out, um, both at the system level as well as at the school level. And I think that phase, you know, granted I'm a qualitative researcher, so that's, you know, much more exciting to me than uh, just looking um, at the, the diagnostic data that we've been collecting and the, the kind of landscapes uh, that we've been collecting. That being said, so those results will be a little bit slower in the rollout because it'll take us more time to process the complexity of the on the ground situation, both at the system and the school level. So we'll have the kind of what it is and what the system looks like and what the sector looks like and what we can say broadly about the trends. And then slowly over the course of the next many months, we'll be able to start rolling out some of our findings related to the complexities on the ground at both the school and system level. And um, Annie, this is your opportunity because really NCA is trying to step up our research efforts. And I think we've done a good job with that over the last um, few months. But Annie, do you want to say anything about participating in research and why it matters? Yeah, I think um, NCA has really recommitted to doing as much research as they possible. So we have the information we need to make quality Catholic schools and support our members across the country. And so um, this is just one partnership that we have with um, a college or university to um, do research. And so if you're a school out there or a diocese or higher education professional and you want to do research, you have this great idea, please reach out to me. We would love to partner with you and work with you um, to see how we can help because um, the future, we need this information for the future of our schools. We, we really do. So please reach out to Annie at NCEA if you are able to help. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Annie and Andrew both did work for me. And I have to tell you, one of the highlights of my career is watching those two argue, because at the end of the day, we were always better as a result of those arguments. So unless they were talking food or TV. But other than that, if they were talking professionally arguing, it was great because I knew we would be better at the end of, of their argument. So that was a good thing. Um, I always ask everybody this question on my podcast, and that is, what is the best lesson you've ever learned? So let's pick Charlie first. Charlie, what's the best lesson you've ever learned? Uh, I, and I think this came from Catholic schools as well as... Um, a, a strong Catholic mother and a strong Catholic spouse now, but uh, I like that you're acknowledging the women in your life. Thank you, Charlie. Oh, well, I also have 
four wonderful daughters and one wonderful son who continue to teach me this every day. Um, but it's it's how to love. Um, truly, that's what I found at the heart of my faith. If I if I can't find ways to love other people, then then I'm missing the point. That's awesome, Annie. You're next. This is a really hard question, but I'm going to say life's hard, get a helmet. You know, sometimes there's obstacles, but you got to keep going and um, you learn from them and that's how you get better. I like it. Andrew, what's the best lesson you've ever learned? Uh, mine definitely comes from my uh, my mom's mom, my, my Nana. She passed away uh, about a year ago, um, and I, I've been thinking a lot about this particular uh, kind of like fable, which I, I think it's an apocryphal story of her growing up. She uh, grew up mostly in Miami, but spent time in the uh, Spencer and Worcester area of Massachusetts because she had extended family there. And her grandmother... Um, used to always get mad at her neighbors. Her grandmother was not a reader, could not read, and used to get mad at her neighbors who pretended that they could read. And so she would always say, ah, look at that woman putting on airs, pretending to read. And so, you know, my, my Nana, when we were growing up, she really cared about literacy and it was really important. But she also said, but if you start to be able to read, don't you go putting on airs. And so the, you know, kind of always keeping yourself humble. Yeah, you can achieve a lot and you can attain a lot, but you know, don't go putting on airs, stay humble, you know, keep keep your, uh, keep your head down and make sure that you're not just doing it for its own sake. Um, so I think that I've been thinking a lot about uh, my Nana's wisdom uh, the past year or so. That's awesome. I like it. And now what's the best lesson you've ever taught? Andrew, you can go ahead. What's the best lesson you've ever taught? Oh, gosh. Um, the best lesson I ever taught was probably to my, uh, it, was, it, was the, it was the first class that I had a homeroom in. So that I was a seventh grade homeroom teacher and a middle school English language arts teacher um, down in Texas with the ACE program. So my first two years of teaching and uh, the seventh graders that I had in my home in my first year, I then had taught them again when they were in eighth grade, their second year. And in that particular group, I had this breakthrough of I could totally teach like graduate level English topics to these folks, not because they were ready for it or they were super geniuses, but because they were just they just loved being in class. And I was like, so I'm just going to go for it. So I used, you know, a complicated take on plot and how plot isn't necessarily something that matters and that, you know, a writer only writes. So basically like, you know, a graduate seminar on plot and plot devices to middle schoolers. And it was it was just an incredible moment. Again, not because of the content and not because it was kind of hoity-toity, but because it was this group of people so engaged in the process of discussing the thing that they were learning about. So that that, that was my favorite uh, lesson. I, it's great when a teacher hits out of the ballpark and everybody feels that. I, that's wonderful. Annie, what's the best lesson you've ever taught? Um, so I've only been an actual teacher one time for summer school, and I had to teach the quadratic formula. And after that lesson, I realized I'm not going to be a teacher. So that's great. That's great. But Annie, you've taught me a lot of things. So um, it, it doesn't have to be in the classroom, but I, I, but I love that you figured out what you wanted to do or what you didn't want to do, because that sometimes it's almost as more important to figure out what you don't want to do as what you do want to do. So Charlie, what's the best lesson you've ever taught? Uh, well, I, I would like to say uh, this summer we had, uh, I taught a class that uh, Andrew and I developed, uh, Models of Teaching and Learning in Catholic Education. And I, the group of students we had this summer, I had this summer, were just fantastic. They were so highly engaged and just looking in and digging into models of Catholic education. They were, they were just remarkable. So I'd like to say that one, but my hope also is that uh, 
that I'm teaching my kids to look past themselves, to look for the greatest needs in our society and really seek um, to make a difference in the world because you know, my, my wife and I are passionate about it and we, we hope we're passing along some of that to our kids. So that's a hopeful lesson. Uh, I read the papers for the class of the summer and they did great. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. And we, we always find out about our children much later. So, well, Annie and Charlie and Andrew, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad this research is going on. It is going to make a difference and that's important very important to our schools and the church at the end of the day. So thank you for all of that. And thank you for listening to the NCA podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. Have a great day, everyone. 